Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B. Joining me today is Jacob. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about how to be a better player in your next tabletop RPG experience. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. So this week we actually have quite a few different things to talk about. Yeah, this is uh, unusual. Yeah, usually, you know, when we're playing, it's something that you guys already see or hear about in terms of our reviews. But this this week, we got to play quite a few different games. The other night, we actually got to play Illuminati, which is a game that I think you've talked about before, but yeah. it's my first time actually playing. Yeah, and so uh, I'll actually let you take this one. What did you think? I thought it was interesting. I, I would not have liked it, I don't think, if it wasn't for the double-blind teams that we were having. Okay. I think it's a bit too cutthroat munchkin-y without, yeah, without that. Well, and it, it's funny that you say that because it's Steve Jackson games. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of most of those games. And it seems like pretty much as soon as we figured out who was on which team, it, it just became a fight between the, the two teams. And it was just like one team went after the other and then it was done within a turn. Yeah, that's, that's really what happens. So Illuminati is a game of sort of hidden identities and scheming mm-hmm. where you are one of the sort of the classic conspiracy groups that are supposed to take over the world or are supposed to already be in control of the world. So you've got um, the classic Bavarian Illuminati. You've got the Bermuda Triangle, which is sentient, apparently, and exerts control over organizations. Apparently. I get, yeah, whatever. Um, you've got the Network, which is sort of like the cabal of media organizations and so on and so forth. But you try to bring other groups under your wing, like the U.S. government or, you know, the specific niche bits of it like the irs or the cia all the way down to you know the pta or junk mail scammers or what have Mm -hmm. you and so a lot of the game i would say 80 to 90 percent of a game is just scheming you're trying to get into a position where you've maneuvered so that you're within striking distance of reaching your particular goal which is unique to each faction but then what tends to happen is because you can use money to aid in an attack yeah it kind of comes down to all right someone reveals and then makes the game winning attack mm-hmm. and then just like with munchkin everyone is going to put in money to stop that yeah. person and then whoever is set up to make the next game winning attack mm-hmm. is probably going to be able to pull it off because exactly. everyone else is tapped out yeah, and that, that's almost exactly what happened in our game. Yeah, like, pretty much. We uh, we were on a team, double blind, and they still put us together, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. It happens. Uh, which actually, really quick, I want to talk about this because yeah. it, it's a little bit weird and really cool and fits with the game. Mm-hmm. So you have your player identity, but you also have your identity as the particular Illuminati group that yeah. you're playing. And so what we did was we had a fifth player, someone outside the game, they had a note that said who each person was and what they were playing. And then they created two teams of two and they told each player which organization was their teammate, but not which player was playing that organization. Mm -hmm. So that's what we, what we mean by double blind teams. And it, it was actually a lot of fun. Like, I think it really, really worked with the sort of chaotic subterfuge Mm -hmm. of the game. Yeah. And I think that that's the only reason that I actually really enjoyed the game because like, if this were a free-for-all, I, it would have been a bit much for me. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I know the other players were toting the uh, how much fun it is when it's a six-player chaotic mess. And to me, that's just like, yeah, you guys have your fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I really did enjoy 
playing it with like having at least one other person on the team trying to figure out who was on the other team that kind of thing mm-hmm. with us it was actually we pretty easily figured out who were our like partners we were fairly transparent about going for our secret goals yeah exactly but even so only i was the one who was figured out by the other players because i did something extremely transparent but right. but you were like every, both of them thought that you were on their team that's true i successfully slow played it from that perspective but yeah. ultimately i do think yeah it's probably just a little bit too maybe cutthroat is the right word maybe munchkiny there's just something about it that it, it's never going to be my favorite game i'll yeah. definitely enjoy it every now and then yeah but it's never going to be my favorite game i think i'm, I'm in the same boat but yeah, so we played that the other night, and that was actually at a, a charity fundraiser event. Yes. It was like a an ongoing tournament where the winning charitable organization continues on to the next bracket, mm-hmm. and then the half the money goes into a pool at the end. It's like, going to be happening like yeah. every week, and it's it's super cool. But it's like a March Madness kind of bracket thing exactly. of charities that that win based on how many people play and win their thing. Yeah, on on their games. behalf. Yeah. Um, but so that was really cool. And then also this past weekend we got to play. Mystic Veil, vale, yeah, which of course we always love to get to table. Uh, mm-hmm. Meg and I played a couple games of that, and it was about you know what you'd expect from a game with all of the expansions. You know, we've played a couple of games now with Veil vale of the Wild, Mana Storm, and Veil vale of Magic. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've noticed about the game is that if you add all in the expansions. A two-player game becomes much longer and much more fun and much more Hmm. interesting because most of the expansions, most of the cards that are added by the expansions don't actually take victory point tokens. Or if they do take those tokens, they take them from the box rather than from Mm. the supply. So those advancements aren't doing anything to move the game towards its only end condition. They're just prolonging it and driving your score up and up and up. So in a two-player game... That actually works out great. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, I think in a four-player game, if you have all the expansions in and you're having these same scenarios, it's just, it turns into a slog. See, I've, I've never noticed that. In all of my, like, more, you know, three- or four-player games, I've always had people, like, even with all the expansions, just want to play again immediately after. Huh. The, the biggest thing is the randomness of when you get certain cards out. True. I think there was one time that we played a longer four-player game but we made a really 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 bad mistake in that we took all of the the cards from one of the expansions and we're like we want to try with just these or like oh, with right. these and we just shuffled those and put I them do on top. remember that yeah and i think that that's where it became it becomes a slog yeah. because that's when you like you, like there the cards don't have that kind of variety and so that i can see but at the same time like when when you're playing just normally with having them all shuffled in they did i think a pretty decent job of balancing it so I guess I'll just have to play test more. Exactly. I mean, and, uh, you know, who's going to be uh, against playtesting a little bit more uh, <laughs> Mystic Veil? Vale. Damn straight. And then I also got to play some, a CCG, actually. Ooh. Legend of the Five Rings. It's a okay, big one. heard of it. Or actually, sorry, it's not a CCG. It's a LCG, limited card game. Limited card. Okay. Those so, are words, I guess. Yeah. So pretty much the difference between a CCG and an LCG or a limited card game and a collectible card game is you know how magic you get the packs and you have a random assortment of cards in there right with certain rules in an, a living card game what it is is that you are getting these cards when you get this pack 
these exact cards. Okay, so there's no... Okay, so it's not a, like a monetization. You have to buy this many packs in order mm-hmm. to build a, a competitive deck. No. It's, if you want this particular card, you buy this pack and you're done. Yeah, exactly. If you oh, want okay. this if you want this kind of card, if you want this kind of deck, you buy these support supplements to... The, like for example there there are i think eight different factions or something like that sure i forget the exact number but each one of them has the the packs that are specific to their faction okay so kind of almost x-wing-esque but more card focused and less miniature exactly yeah it's okay. fully card focused versus miniature and, and this right. uh, legend of the five rings is not the first one it's not the last one sure there there are a lot of other ones that that are working uh the, the most famous one is netrunner oh Okay, I don't think I realized that that wasn't a collectible game. Yeah, no, it's it's living. It's uh, you, when you buy a pack, you know exactly what you're getting, and that actually makes it a little bit. Uh, you know, you have to really know how to build your deck, right? And so you have to know what you want. You have to do that, and all all those kinds of things. And that's not my forte, but actually playing the game was interesting. Okay. So I, I thought that the game was interesting. There were a lot of really cool mechanics. We only got through two turns of it because the whole game takes about an hour, which is a lot for a uh, card game. That is a lot, yeah. But I did enjoy it, which is surprising for someone who has not enjoyed a lot of those kinds of collectible-ish card games where you have to like build your deck beforehand and then sit down and like play those. Right. Well, I will mark the day. Yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah, so we've played actually... A bunch of other games as well. We played some Terraforming Mars. Yep. You know, we played some games on stream, Rising Sun, mm-hmm. Pandemic Legacy. You can, of course, check those out on YouTube. They yes. were a lot of fun, particularly Rising Sun. Yeah. Uh, I think we were both super impressed. We, we were very impressed. It actually restored my faith in Cool Mini or Not. Because, like, especially after Zombicide, like, that was sure. a little bit let down. And then before i actually played rising sun they had the hate kickstarter up yeah which really rubbed me the wrong way and then i played this and i was just like thank god i backed this i was was like (laughs) when when game was on kickstarter i was very very on the cusp of not backing it okay well i'm for one i'm glad you did yeah and the miniatures in this are gorgeous bro they're so cool like oh my god I, i will probably have some painting streams once i have time in my life getting real on the podcast today (laughs) but yeah so it it was a very fun game but i mean also we played pandemic legacy season two and finally actually won some games we won some games which was great yeah we won our second game in january and the first game in february actually we had back-to-back wins we've made it two months in so that was very exciting and yeah we look forward to bringing you more of one or both or all uh, of those games in the future yeah tune in actually this friday for the next one there you go yeah, and there you go. That's a look at what we've been playing. Taking refuge from the sleeting rain, your party of adventurers. Can I have a and, Mountain Dew? Yeah, yeah, you can have a Mountain Dew. There, never mind. Uh, right. So you you enter the tavern, um, and you you. Where are the Mountain Dews? They're in the they're in the fridge. I just please, they're in the fridge. Just go get one. Um. Right, so you, you enter the tavern. Wait, um, wait, wait, what's the tavern called? The the tavern's called the Red Rooster Inn. And um, where where is it? It's again? on the, the south side. Of, it should be on the map handout that I gave you. Um, that's not. Don't don't worry about that right now. We don't need to. That's not that big a deal. Um, but so you see a couple of cloaked figures at a table across the way, and I need you to make me a perception check. Wait, wait perception check, perception check. Who has my character sheet? Does this sound like you? If so. We're happy to welcome you to our guide for how to become a better player. 
we do want to stress that there's a lot of subjectivity that goes into becoming a better player. Yeah. But there are some really easy ways, one, to become more confident in your play, if yes. that's something that you sort of are struggling with, and two, to just make sure that everyone at your table has a better play experience. Yeah. And those are some of the things that we're going to try to talk about today. Yeah, and we're not, you know, trying to shame anyone, like, you know, if this is what you're doing, you know, you're an objectively horrible person. And we player, hate you. And we hate you, and, and you should never play D&D again. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying it's like, there are always ways to improve, and like, everyone... You know, myself and Greg included, we have ways that we can definitely improve our role playing, both in terms of DMs and players. So, absolutely, here are just some tips from us to you guys about how to do that and how to just be prepared and be a good role playing game player. Yeah, much. absolutely. One of the things that we wanted to start with, because we've heard it from several of our friends, actually, mm-hmm. some of the people in particular who are newer to role-playing games, whether that's newer to a particular system or new to role-playing period, is that they feel like they don't have a grasp on the system. They feel like they're doing things wrong, that they don't know what to do, and that other people are getting exasperated with them. So one of the really easy pieces of information that we can, can give to you all is just know your role. Yeah. You know, there are lots of things going on in any given campaign, in any given party, your character mm-hmm. is going to be able to do a handful of things. Maybe they're a fighter and they're really good in combat. Maybe they're some sort of investigator and they've got ways to gather information or detect hidden clues. Maybe they're a spellcaster and they can transmit messages across great distances. In any event, your character is going to be good at some things. And so all you really need to do is understand what those things are and how to do them. And yeah. that'll give you enough of a foothold into the system to increase your comfort level and branch out if you want to. Yeah, exactly. And and that's very system agnostic. You could be a good investigator in D&D or you could be a good investigator in Shadowrun. Like, it's still doing the same kinds of actions and you're still... They might be mechanically different, but, like, understanding what it is your character is doing is pretty important. Mm-hmm. And then that brings us into the starting to learn the system and how to do those things that your character can do. And we talk about the things that your character can do, mostly because we don't want you to focus on what your character can't do. Right, absolutely. Because uh, your character is not going to be able to do everything, especially able to do everything well. Mm -hmm. So this isn't Skyrim where you are going to be able to level up every single thing to 100 and be able to destroy God, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, unless that's what your campaign is built for. The the yeah. epic level handbook does exist. True. But in general, you're not going to be equally as amazing in one skill as a completely different skill. Exactly. So you want to know what you're good at and how to do that and not really worry about the things that you're not so good at. They might come back and like, you know, every character is going to have flaws. And that's what makes them interesting. So mm-hmm. pretty much embrace your flaws and know your strengths. And play right. to those. And one of the great things about sort of learning your role, learning one step at a time, is that you can take what you know about what it is that you do, mm-hmm. and you can turn that into learning how the fundamentals of the system work. So yes. again, to use D&D as an example, because it's something that we're very familiar with, let's say you're a martial class, you're a paladin, mm-hmm. you're really good at intimidating fools, and you're really good at hitting people in the face. Yeah. So... Those are two things that you can learn how to do very narrowly. You can learn how to make an intimidate roll, and you can learn how to make an attack roll. 
and become yeah. comfortable with that. But then that can branch out into, okay, this is the anatomy of a skill role. Yeah. This is what that looks like. I take this, I add these numbers, and just learning your way around a character sheet mm-hmm. through practical, discrete, small yeah. steps. Yeah, and, and actually a paladin is a great example because they start off as purely a martial class and they, they are there, they have a sword, they have a mace, they have something that is smashing someone else on the head with. Mm-hmm. But they then later on start getting some spells. And then you start like you know learning how a spell works. And you know, when your DM tells you, oh, make a spell attack, what does that mean? Oh, it's an attack roll, except you use a different modifier or you add a different number to it. And and it just like modifies the things that you already know. And many systems are, are similar to that in that they have the base, you know, mechanic of how this works. And then it's just modified by like what exactly, like what specific thing you, you want to do. Definitely. And learning those and, and learning it through what your character can do is pretty much the, the best way, I think, to learn how to play the game. Because you're going to learn by doing, pretty much. And right. your character is your voice in the game and is your avatar in the game, pretty much. So being able to control them means that you will be able to interact with the game and keep going and going. Exactly. And one of the other things that we want to emphasize is that, you know, a lot of this is on how much investment you want to do. And, yeah. you know, if you want to improve your own role-playing experience, you want to learn how these things work. But also, you should never be afraid to ask your GM or ask your other players as long as you're not interrupting the flow of gameplay. You know, yeah. the types of people who play tabletop RPGs love to talk about tabletop RPGs. Hence, we are here. <laughs> so Exactly. So, you know, at, at no point should you be afraid to ask, you know, hey, I'm not I'm not getting something about this. Like, can you explain to me how exactly this particular spell works? Spellcasting is widely considered one of the most complicated aspects of any game, just because yeah, you yeah. have so many different numbers and values and systems to model. You know, if you need help learning what spells you have access to, what each spell does, Talk to your GM. I, you know, I'm sure that they'll love the questions and the sort of the the attention that you're paying to your character. And if they're not, this is a bit of a tangent, but I feel it's important. If they're not, you know, if they're not encouraging and if they don't reward you for coming to them with with your their attention, you might want to consider finding a different group. Yeah. Just because that's not a situation that's fostering your enjoyment of the game. They're discouraging you from from doing that. So something certainly to consider. That being said, of course, you have to also, when talking to your GM and like creating your character and all that, one of the big things is to know not only your role within, you know, what you can actually do, but also within the world that your GM has created as well as the party that you're in. So, you know, you have to make sure that when when you are making a character that it fits at least. That you're not going to be the one person pulling in a completely different direction than everyone else. Right. The character that you want to make fits in the world that the GM and the other players are building and or, you know, if you're all starting from scratch that you want to build. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you're joining that it's already there. And you have to be able to fit into that in some way to help pretty much forward the gameplay rather than try to pull it in your direction exactly and there's a couple of different you know expressions of this on the one hand you know you mechanically have to be willing to accept some possible restrictions on your alignment you know nothing's going to throw a cog in the gears 
of a party like having you know a neutral good a lawful good a chaotic good and a neutral evil character mm-hmm. that that's just asking for party disunity and someone's gonna get in a knockdown drag out fight because you are you know role-playing the character that you created or they yeah. are role-playing the character that they created but there was a miscommunication about the expectations of the party mm-hmm. and so you have to sort of be willing to make concessions about okay maybe i'll play that maybe i can convince someone to run or maybe i can run yeah. an evil aligned campaign later uh, but mm-hmm. for now i'm going to go with maybe a true neutral or a, yeah. something like that um, but equally one of the things that affects um myself in particular just because i find this weird fantasy domesticity really interesting is that you have to accept that the characters that you're playing are adventurers they're going to quest they're going to go do fantastic things and that's why everyone's there Mm -hmm. you know if you want to make a farmer a humble alchemist yeah in a fantasy setting you can do that that's just not going to be a player character that you bring to the table mm-hmm. because everyone else in your party is going to be wanting to go kill dragons and you're going to be wanting to bury your nose in your lab. And so knowing what the the GM's goals, not necessarily specific plot goals, but knowing generally the broad strokes of what they want to do and where they want to take the campaign can really help you in building a character that's willing to explore those avenues mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who's going to want to stay in one place. And this brings us to another point of just like how invested you should be in your character. Because one of the things is if you're not invested in your character, if you don't care about what happens to them, you're not going to be interested in furthering the story. Same with the, the campaign in itself. There's just that investment, that buy-in, that even just, you know, half a paragraph of backstory of like who your character is is really important in general because it gives you a little bit of a background on who you're playing and why you're playing and you know having some kind of a goal and not just to get drunk in every single tavern (laughs) and and a laudable goal and it's not like you need to always have some lofty like crazy goal to go on your character could be just a victim of circumstance that they had to like you know leave a certain town because they were you know tossed out because they were a warlock or something like that and that's okay they they don't need to like want to do something crazy but they want to do something because there's nothing that puts a damper on a campaign like someone who's just like yeah i'm just not interested in that yeah and that's not fun for you the dm or the other players right which is a great opportunity to talk about investment and we've mentioned investment a whole bunch investment in your gaming experience and how to become more confident Mm -hmm. and how to make sure that your play experience is better but it's equally important if we're looking at how to be a better player to invest in your gaming group and to make sure that you're being conscientious of everyone's time and everyone's experience Mm -hmm. and so there are lots of sort of straightforward rules um that i think you can follow the first of which is just be prepared and this comes in both be prepared for the session You know, Mm -hmm. if you have been expected to level up, make sure that you've done so and that you understand what all your new class abilities, features, and things are. If it's make sure that you have successfully allocated your treasure or figured out what you want to do with your downtime, whatever it is, make sure that you come to session prepared with all the materials that you need and all the things that you need to have done, done. But also being prepared on your turn. This is mostly an issue in combat, but, you know, combat is heavy. Combat slows down the pace of the game pretty dramatically, especially if you have the aforementioned spellcasters in your party. They're going to take a couple of 
you know, minutes to roll all their dice and determine all their targets and all those sorts of things. And if that's happening, even in a party as small as four, it's going to be five to ten minutes before it gets back to you. It's very important not to let yourself get too distracted. You know, don't use that time to fiddle around on your phone and certainly don't use that time to distract other players. You want to be using that time to pay attention to what's going on in the game and figure out what you want to do with your next turn. And it's just a really simple way to make sure that the flow is as quick and as consistent as possible and that everyone enjoys the gaming experience. Yeah, this doesn't mean at all that you have to have everything memorized or anything like that, but it's great that when you have that time between turns you can look up your other spells you can you know take a look at what you thought you could do and like now you're not sure you're double checking something and it's something that's pretty important in terms of just play experience for everyone but also if you see someone else who isn't like you know fully prepared don't be a dick (laughs) the golden rule like the golden rule be encouraging and maybe help them or something like that don't like, you know put them down for not remembering everything that you did about your character. You, you never know what what else is going on. Like, you know they might have you know two D and D groups that they're playing with, and their their character is getting mixed up, and they're, they're not sure like which one they're like which one has which spell, so they're double checking. They could just not have time to memorize everything, or they just you know would rather look through the book before their turn, or even during their turn than. Like, you know, have everything written down meticulously and memorized. So don't ruin other people's experience in the game is pretty much the the golden rule. Right. And it's about making the effort. It's about, you know, demonstrating that you are investing in this process and also that you're respecting your fellow players, both in terms of, you know, their time, but also in terms of their sort of autonomy. Role-playing is hard and messy. And one of the things that people can tend to do is dictate. They say, my character does this, so everyone else does this. And at the end of the day, that's not something that you want to be doing. You want to give other people the opportunity to respond to what you're doing. But at no point should you be dictating to another person how their character acts or what their character does. Because that takes control out of their hands of this character that, if they are invested in... They really want to play. They have things that they're excited about doing. And so being told whether it's, oh, we all go here and do this without consensus or whether it's, you know, in combat, you should do this and this and this. I know your character better than you do when they didn't ask for advice. That's going to take a lot of the fun out of it for them. Yeah, yeah. It's another thing that you also just don't know what they actually would want to do. Maybe there is a single optimal best like move, but this isn't, you know, Caverna. This isn't (laughs) like a board game that has a single optimal strategy that you want to take the character might want to be preparing something else and doing something really creative and cool or maybe their their character itself is in or maybe it's in character for them to actually be doing something else like you don't know their backstory might have something to do with the person that you're fighting and they don't want to hurt them or something like that there's always that little thing that they can add to the story in a different way that you don't know yet. And that's one of the biggest things about role-playing that makes it fun. You're working together to create this story. You're working together to create this adventure. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much you can learn from other people, from other 
players and just their style. It's like you might not have even imagined that you could try to do something like this, and then they go ahead and do it. You would have done something completely different on their turn, but now you know how like something else works, something new. Maybe you learn something new about their character. You didn't know that on the last level up, they multi-classed into something else and now have this other ability that's even better. And all of this to say, just enjoy being with other people and trying to create a really fun and engaging environment in order to tell an amazing story together. And part of that is also, you know, being as interested as you want and each person has a different style of play yeah and you can have like a really intense style where you're doing everything in a funny voice and like you know having this this one that you've developed for your character and this personality that you're doing everything in the first person that doesn't mean that the person who's dictating everything in the third person is wrong like they have their own style and their own imagination of how this is all going through And it's important to respect that for everyone. And it's also important to develop your own style because everyone's going to have a different one. You could see something like Critical Role and be like, oh my God, they're amazing at role playing. And like their voices are like crazy. Matt Mercer is like an amazing DM. Like he can do all these really cool things and all of them have these fun like characters that you can even just hear when they talk. But you might not have that style. Like they are literally award-winning voice actor so (laughs) so you're not expected to have that kind of like experience with creating all these different voices and creating all these different personas but that doesn't mean that you can't be as good a role player and as good a player of dnd right or any other role-playing game exactly overall the takeaways for anyone looking to become a better tabletop player really you just want to focus on your own character focus on becoming comfortable with the types of things that you can do, and also focus on increasing the enjoyment of the experience for yourself and for others. Yeah. And overall, I think those two things performed in the the various ways that we've talked about will really go a long way towards making you feel more confident and helping you enjoy your tabletop experience a little better. There you go. And there you have it. That's our guide to being a better RPG player from Dragon's Demise. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to join us for our weekly live streams on Wednesdays. We're also going to continue our Pandemic Legacy Season 2 campaign. Join us for that. And as always, don't forget to tune in next week when we review Kingdom Builder.